my time. So I'm having a good time. Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. And even though I know this person really well, I'm going to butcher his last name because that's typically what Richard does. There are two things Richard does on every podcast. He talks while he's on mute and he usually butchers somebody's name. Um, <laughs> Scott's laughing because he's like, yep, that's true. Uh, but first we want to give a, a quick shout out and thanks to gong.io, lead411 and um, Vidyard. And if you are looking to improve you and increase your capabilities, revenue results and pipeline in 2021, you've got to check these tools out. If you haven't, um, they are now table stakes and must haves, not nice to haves. Uh, so without any further ado, I'm just going to say the first name because I'm going to butcher the last name. Phil, thank you for joining. And by the way, Phil is uh, from Aircall, who uh, I believe was a sponsor of the, of the Surf and Sales event in Costa Rica, as well as an attendee. So uh, welcome. We only had a few alumni on here. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And it's so nice to see the familiar faces. Um, Surf and sales just seems like it was years ago, but man, I would do anything to get back to Costa Rica and, and hop on that surfboard. You and me, you and me both, man. Phil, let me try to pronounce your name and you can give me a score on a one to 10 scale. Okay. Nizvestny. Yeah, I took an eight and a half there. You're, you're close. It's it's Nies Vesny with you got to pronounce a Z, but you're close. Gotcha. I'll take an eight and a half. That's, that's my style right there. That's like, that's like a B plus. B plus. <laughs> that's all about the B plus. Yeah, all about it. Phil, tell everybody, uh, you know, what you're selling and, and what the sales cycle is like. Uh, you're an individual contributor. You're an account executive too. I think this was the year you moved from SDR to uh, AE and got bumped up to AE2 rather quick. So give people some context, um, you know, so they know where your, where your perspective is coming from. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thanks for that introduction. And so currently I'm an account executive too, as you mentioned at Aircall, we are a cloud-based phone system. We integrate with business tools to allow automation and to basically help the reps production on a day-to-day -day basis for logging calls and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a little bit about Aircall. And so this, you mentioned a little bit about the sales cycle, the sales cycle. Yeah, we are selling SMB. We service that like mid to small to medium sized business quite well. Um, and so, yeah, so basically I am gold out on a quota of 84,000 monthly, and it comes out to just a little over 1 million or just about 1 million ARR uh, for the year. And so the way that the tiers are broken up and structured is um, once you reach, um, I believe it's 685,000 in sales, you get bumped up to a two. And then once you get to that 1.2 million mark, uh, you're at senior A. So, um, achieved that AE2 mark um, in about nine months was the fastest to do it in, in our company history globally, actually. Um, so yeah, just keeping my head down, focused and, and grinding away. That's so how good you, to hear. How do you absorb going from sort of this early stage rep to a 1.2 goal? Like, how does that not freak you out? Uh, more than that, Richard, he, we, we met him uh, a year and a half ago in Costa Rica and he was an SDR and, and, and we were like, okay, this dude has got the goods, like, right. But, but you know, to, to, to Richard's point, like you've progressed multiple times. Yeah. How are you, how are you taking it all in? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, to be honest with you, it's the head down and laser focused approach, right? Like not letting any external factors get in the way. Like that 1.2 million number sounds 
big, but when you really break it down, it's, it's, it's not that tough. Um, and so what I mean by that is when you can work backwards, right? When you can set a goal and you have the goal in front of you and you can say, okay, here is what I need to sell in order to get to that goal. And then you make it more realistic. Let's say, for example, to get to that 84K a month, I need to sell a hundred seats. When I sell a hundred seats, I'm at that goal. So every single month I'm figuring out, okay, here are the deals that I have in my pipeline. Here's what I need to break down. Here's what I need to win. And this is how I get to that goal. So when you really take that high level bird's eye view approach to it, and then you work backwards, Getting to that goal isn't really that difficult because, again, what my mentality is, is hitting quota is only what's expected of you, right? I think that's what separates the good from the great is wanting to achieve and overachieve that quota. What does that mean for you, though, to overachieve, like good to great? Like, what is the difference in your mind between good and great? So that's a great question. And it's different every single month, right? Because every month you're hitting a new number, a different number. It all depends on what pipeline that you have that you're trying to convert. I think what separates the good from great though, is really being able to just kind of have that heads down approach, stay laser focused. Don't let those external forces impact what you're doing on a day to day. And if you're really giving it your all. Pause right there. Cause you know, if you know me, I don't like buzzwords. Those things, tell me what those things are that you're one, keeping your head down on. And two, what are those things that you're not letting get in your way or you've learned to not let get in your way? Yeah, that's a great question. So obviously uh, 2020 has been a tough year for a lot of people and there's been a lot that happened this year. People have gotten laid off. People are experiencing challenges, um, you know, mentally. Um, so when I say those things, that's what I mean by those things. I try not to let those factors get in my way. Um, yeah, but one and of the factors that could get in your way, like for you, like go, go personal to like, you know, this gets yeah. in my, like I look, I I'm the first to admit, you know, my own mental health and depression can get in my own way and could make me very unmotivated no matter what I say to myself and think like, but what are those things for you? Yeah. I mean like the fear of getting like fired, right. The fear of getting let go. Um, right. Like I think that we're in a very uncertain stage in the world right now. And I think that that goes through everyone's mind. Right. And if it, and if it doesn't like good for you, but I mean, it definitely goes through my mind and uh, it doesn't matter if you're a top contributor or where you are, just, you know, the fear of, of not being able to, um, you know, continue your success, right. Like I'm, I'm successful because of, you know, the opportunity that's given, I'm just taking full advantage of it. So, um, if I wasn't given that opportunity, then what does success mean? And when I say those things, that's what I mean by that. What, what, what has been other than that, like tactically now, <clears throat> so many people have not only lost their job, but have struggled to, to hit quota this year. Um, I, I don't remember the statistic, but I saw something like over half of people are going to be way off of their, their number. Um, what are the tactics that have worked for you this year? Are you tripling your activity in order to hit the same number? Or are you decreasing the activity and being much more strategic and like finding unique ways to reach people? And if so, what are those ways? Talk to me about you know, real specifically, like what is working for you tactically to you know, open opportunities and bring them in? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So, and I would say, you know, for me, it was kind of strange because I don't have any like basis to go off of because I became an account executive in January, right? So that when the pandemic hit, it was only two months into my selling role. So I didn't say, okay, well, here's right what I need. Fire. 
yeah, I just got thrown right into it. And the one thing that I said to myself is like, I'm usually one of those pers- like persons that if you're given a task or you're asked to do something, you just go figure out how to do it. Um, and so month over month, I was seeing a similar trend And okay, this is the amount of opportunities that I need to close, or this is the amount of opportunities that I need generated in one month in order to convert to this goal. And so every single month, I just try to focus on making sure that I have that pipeline and I'm building that pipeline, whether it's something that comes in through an inbound lead or something that's being sourced outbound, Um, just being able to really understand, you know, like, like you said, right, like, what have you done before to get there that got you to where you are today? And so just being able to work through those things, I think is something that's important. But for me, it really was no basis. Like I mentioned, like I was just thrown right into the fire and it was, it was kind of like, you just had to figure it out as, as you went along. What's the most difficult objection you, you've, you've dealt with this year? <sighs> that's a great question. Um, personally or through work? No, no, no. I don't mean, I didn't mean through personally, like not obstacle, like, literally the number one objection that you're dealing with that all the prospects are saying to you, not, not, not just that's frequent, but frequently is, is difficult for you to overcome and get around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. So um, I think that is the biggest thing obviously is right. The money's right. Like we don't want to sign an annual contract. We're concerned about our cash burn and our cash flow, and we're being very hesitant on our spend. So I think that would be a common objection that I'm, I'm giving. You think, you think that was made more difficult given the you know, business climate this year? So I feel very fortunate to be selling the technology that I sell because with a solution like Aircall, it's more of a need to have rather than a nice to have. So if you can show how you can expand their sales and their growth by your tech and how you can help them convert on more business, then I guess that objection doesn't become valid anymore because let's say you're spending X amount of dollars and you're, you're getting a greater return than that X that you're spending, then the tool is basically pays for itself. It's, it's a no brainer. Like, yeah. What, yeah. what do you think? Um, I'm going to ask the uh, same question, but slightly differently, right? What's the second hardest objection you're getting? Because we, I think we all have heard the, it's COVID, it's 2020, I don't want to spend the money, call me back, you know, really call me back in 2021. Is there another objection that's even beneath that, that, that you've sort of had to figure through a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, um, like, obviously, like the, I guess the number two thing would be like competitors, right? Like, I think that the telephony space and wh- where I'm selling right now is it, it's very competitive. There's a lot of players in the market. And so really being able to understand the market and, and doing your competitor analysis, understanding who is in your space, where do they win, where do you win, and playing to the strengths, right? Like there are sometimes I, like when I take, I take a, like a very consultative approach to my sale. And so whenever I get on a call with someone and I understand that what their product is and what their needs are, are not going to meet the needs as to what I sell. I tell them that right off of the bat. And, and oftentimes you'd be surprised at how many times I convert that sale to a customer because they, they're like, I guess buyers are craving, what's the right way to say that? I guess authenticity, right? Buyers are craving authenticity. I think that is what is, is the main 
thing in 2020 is that right and, and the feature list and, and on the paper and on the website it all looks great right but then being able to actually know the industry know the product know who you're selling to know what you're selling like being able to have those things and, and doing your research before jumping into the seat of selling is i would say the most important thing and, and a way to come across that that objective so i have, a, I have another question to that um when do you like to bring up the competition or are you one of the reps who doesn't like to bring it up? Cause I think this I br- is a common concern. I don't want to bring up the competition because then they might go look at them. I follow the medic approach. I bring up the competition in the beginning of the discovery. Um, I don't bring it up right. At- Let's say you, you and I are working on a deal. You're trying to sell me, you know, we've gone through rapport building and, you know, sort of the basics and, you know, you've gotten a little bit about me. What kind of things do you actually say to, to bring up the competitor? So that's a great question. I know our competitors very well, right? So if you tell me, hey, I'm looking to do X, Y, and Z, I then start asking you questions that I know my competitor cannot do because I'm going to have you verbalize that information to me saying, yes, this is what I need. And then when you tell me you're looking at that competitor, I'll say, hey, well, they don't have that. And I'll bring that up right at the beginning of the call, right? We build that rapport. I start to learn a little bit more about your processes, what your pains are, and I'll sell right against the competitor right then and there. But do you ever bring them up by name? Do you ever? Of course. You do. And Absolutely. You, so, so let's say you ask this question, knowing that there are certain things they can't do, you know, do you then go, so have you talked to these people yet? Or, or do you sort of wait for them to come through? Yeah, that's the, and, and so I think that, the competitors and and being in a competitive space is, is extremely healthy, right? Competition in the market is extremely healthy. So when, don't get it mistaken, when I talk about my competitors, it's not in negative way. I think that my competitors and, and who I sell against um, do amazing things and they do a lot better than things that we can do. And we do things a lot better than they can do. So being able to play to those strengths and those advantages um, it's something that it's, it's something that I put right out front, right? It's something that I lead with. And so when I have an understanding as to who the competitor is in the market and, and what they're looking at, I'll just drop little bombs throughout the entire call, knowing that what I've learned about my competitors in the past and the things that we do better than them and being able to drop those little landmines all throughout the call without actually even having to bring up the competitor's name. That's great. I think, I think it's a big missed opportunity when salespeople <clears throat> haven't studied their competition and, and, you know, made notes of, of all these things, as you said, things you've learned about the competition, you know, as, as time has gone on, it's, it's a huge competitive selling advantage. I think um, I want, I'll pivot for a second. And this will be a, this will be a difficult question potentially for you. So you could take a moment and, and think about how to answer it. One thing Richard, that I don't think we've ever talked about on this show and doesn't get talked about very often at all is um, what is it like being a sales rep when one VP of sales, one sales leader goes out the door and is replaced by another, right? What is it like when the new regime comes in? What do you do? How do you handle it? Um, What are the biggest challenges and changes? Um, And I know that you've been a part of that, um, you know, more than once, let's say, uh, you know, recently. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? You know, do, do your best here. I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble, least of, least of all you, but, you know, I think it's, I think it's important, right? No, no. 
people don't often spend much time thinking about well, what is it like for the team that's left behind when the sales leader is removed? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And before I, I dive into this a little bit more, I'd like to just say like change is inevitable, right? Like there, like, that is something that like, we're always changing, whether it's personally, whether it's professionally, change is inevitable. So um, when change happens, the way that I like to look at this is you have to trust the people that are leading above you, right? The people that are in charge, the C-suite, the directors, other sales people, your managers, people that are directly above you. The way that I approach my day-to-day, -day, and I tell my manager this all the time, is there are things that might have been said or might have been asked that I don't necessarily agree with, but just like, you know, I'm, I come from a football background. I played football in high school. When my coach told me to do something, I just went and did it. Like it wasn't, oh, well, maybe this or maybe that. I'm bought into the process. And so it's the same thing. And that translates directly to sales, right? Like when they're making a change, I know the change is being made because it's what the coach and what the people above in the hierarchy think is what's best. So because I'm a part of the company and I value what's best for the company, I'm going to agree with those changes. There's nothing that I can do or nothing that I can say that will ever change that factor. So being able to just be 100% bought in. If you believe in the company that you're working for, the technology that you're selling, the passion that you have to go out and actually sell in the space that you're selling at. And if you believe in all those three things and you work for a company that embodies those changes, um, then you have to be bought, bought into the program. So uh, yes, change sucks and it's not easy, but at the same time, you really need to make sure that you are continuing to be bought into the process. And that's really how I look at it. That's, I mean, that's a wonderful perspective and, and, a, and a killer answer. Let me push you a little harder, maybe. What's, what's the hardest part of that? What's the hardest part? Like, what is it, is it super tactically like old VP coaches us to sell this particular way, new VP wants us to sell this other way? Is it just getting used to different communication style? Like what, what piece is the most complicated that tests you in terms of, um, you know, being bought in, if you will? Yeah, that's a great question. For me personally, I think it's reputation, right? Like you build a rapport, you build that reputation with someone in the past, they leave, someone new comes in, you have to do it all again. Just because you are top of the leaderboard while they weren't there, or while somebody new wasn't there, doesn't mean that that's the way that things are going to continue. So if you want to continue to be that number one guy or continue to be that successful person in the actual organization, when somebody new comes in, you just have to prove yourself all over again. So it comes back to the drawing board, right? The six days a week hustle, the 18 hours a day, I'm not going to stop. If you make 75 phone calls, I'm going to make 76 phone calls. And I'm not doing it out of spite. I'm just doing it to have that number one mentality. And um, I really think that like when leadership changes, like it's just another way to prove yourself. And who knows that that change might be recognized in a different way and things might continue to grow and flourish for you. So um, the always be hungry mentality, the always proving yourself, showing what you're capable of, regardless of who's in the leadership position is something that I think is, is very important when leadership does change. How do you, um, I want to come back to, to, you know, discussing sales and tactics and stuff, right? You, um, you know, we talked a little bit about bringing up the competition. How do you know when to go to the, for the close? And what is your close? <laughs> um, well, the close is very simple. Um, it's let's get the paperwork started, 
right? Like that's, that's the easiest, right? That's the easiest way. And, um, you know, when, and, and so it, it depends, right? When it depends on how I go, each customer for me is going to be a different close, uh, depending on the team size, depending on the actual sales cycle, depending on if I had to loop in legal and the CIO and all of these different. So to get yourself to the point of let's get the, the paperwork started, right? Even before that, you've got to have heard something that they've agreed to, or they've said that that Aircall does. What kind of things are you listening for to let you know it's time to to look at that part of the process? That's a great question, and I'm going to answer this in a little bit longer than you probably want me to. But here's what I will say: taking the flywheel method of sales approach, being able to adapt your technology into the other reps, right? Because I think that often when technology is bought, is you is from a, I guess from a previous or more of a non-modern way is. You know, they look at the budget, they say, okay, this is what we have, this is what we can spend, it makes sense, boom, we buy the technology, we implement it to our sales reps, they like it, great, they don't like it, I don't care. And that's the wrong way of buying technology. The right way of buying technology, in my opinion, is following that flywheel method. And what does that mean? Here's what that means. It means taking your technology and adapting it and implementing it into the other customers, implementing it into the other reps from a day-to-day basis. When you can get the agents that you're selling your tech to to buy in, how is leadership going to say no to that? If they're saying, oh, this is making us you know, more productive, more efficient, we're converting more sales. You're proving that your technology is adding value to their organization. How do you not buy that? And that's the approach that I take, right? Rather than saying, oh, you know, I can cut your cost by this because, yeah, I do that too. Don't get me wrong. When I'm, com- when I'm working with a large company and they send me, you know, their previous six months of billing and I'm building out an Excel sheet saying, okay, this is what you're paying now. This is what you're going to be paying with us. I'm showing you, you know, how you can save money and how you can make money. But at the same time, I'm also plotting my little landmines and, and other agents that are using our technology. And I think that I'm fortunate in a sense that, we can turn around a trial and a proof of concept fairly quickly. So when I'm able to show that the agents are not only productive with our tool, but are also enjoying the tool, that is where the close comes from, right? Agent X, Y, and Z, John Doe, Jane Doe, they're all successful. They all love it. Let's, let's get this done. You're looking, you're looking for the emotion, right? You're looking for the feeling, which is what I always for, focus on of like, Hey, this feels like the right tool. Not, is it going to, you know, and, and you, I think you have to balance that out to your point of like, here's how it feels. And by the way, here's the data that supports that too. Right. So they can have the emotional side and the rational side come A hundred percent. And on top of that also is back to what I said earlier, buyers are craving that authenticity. When they send you an email asking you a question, I respond to that email within a minute. Like it's, it's, um, it's no joke. Like I am, the customer is always first. Customer service is first at mine. I don't care if you're selling the best technology in the world. You put a technology in front of me and I guarantee you I will sell it better than the best person in the market is because I just push with the customer value first. The way that I interact with them, the way that I make them feel, like you just said, it's all about the emotions, right? Being pleasant, saying thank you, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Just those little things that you can do the right way. You can approach it in a modern way where you are respectful, where you sound like an industry expert, where you know exactly what you're talking about. I think also one of the things, not to go too much off tangent, but I think that a lot of things that sellers do not do well, 
and I'll stress this again, do not do well, is going in and selling into a market that they have no idea about what they're selling into, right? If, for example, if you're selling into e-commerce and you don't understand the general lingo, the verbiage of what e-commerce, you know, the CEO or the COO is talking every single day, if you're not on their exact same level, if you're up here and they're down here, they're up here and you're down here, you're never going to sell. You need to be able to sell to their, meeting them at their level. If they're standing, if they're standing or kneeling on one knee, you need to get down on one knee. You can't be standing on two feet and trying to sell to somebody that's on one knee. That does not work. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes sellers are making right now is not understanding the environment and the industry that they're selling into. Now you've been in, you've been in each of the, uh, the selling functions, uh, you know, within the last year, year and a half, which role is harder, Phil? Is it harder being an SDR? Is it harder being an AE? I think for me, I think it's harder being an AE. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. An SDR, I can control my schedule. I can control when I'm calling, the times that I'm calling, the messaging that I'm putting out. An AE, like, I'm either on a demo, putting out a fire, answering a phone call. I don't have this. My schedule is my customer's schedule. And my customer calls me at 10 o'clock at night. You better believe I'm picking up that phone call and having whatever conversation they want at that time. So, so it's, is, is it fair to say you feel it's harder because it's more reactive than proactive kind of role? For sure. A hundred percent. It's not the answer that I would have expected, Richard. What about you? I agree with you. I think I was expecting the SDR role. Like I think, and I think we've, I think the industry in fair, you know, we've, we've been trying to give the SDRs a lot more respect, right? Like I think they, they have been sort of the, you know, what, when I was an inside sales rep, that was sort of seen as the, as the less than role. Right. Meanwhile, I always knew it was like not, it was a waste of time to go be an outside AE. Um, but then the SDR role started to come. And I think people thought of it that way too, because oftentimes the model is that they're a younger person. They're just out of college. It's a first job. They don't know anything about life. And so, you know, and, and particularly the AE ego um, gets in the way of them thinking like, Oh, I'm beneath those parts of the job. So that happened. And I think for the last few years, and I love it that the SDR has been getting a lot more credit than, than it ever got. Um, so I, I see it as that. But I also think, you know, Phil's got a point, like to go from zero to 1.2 in a few months, like, you know, many, many SDR to AE roles, you know, you go to a a $500,000 quota to start. So I think the pressure is very different, you know, particularly from Phil's point of view. So I I was glad to hear that. Um, Now, now, Phil, you're still prospecting on your own, though, aren't you? Um, When I have the time, yes. Um, Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, Uh I know. I I know Uh this is... I know this is going to get me in trouble. And so before just when I thought Phil was old school, (laughs) so real quick, before we we get into this topic, and I do want to talk about this a little bit more, the question that you asked me earlier is what role do I think is harder? And the answer is still the same, but I'm also like, I'm one of those people that would, I love cold calling. I love getting on the phone. I love someone telling me, no, I love understanding. And I just, I like, persistency is something that I like have fun with, like being like, I like to get on the phone. And like, I, there was this one lady that I'll never forget. I won't mention the name of the company, but it was a gatekeeper. And I called her 
every single day for like six months straight and she would not pass me through and I just kept calling and kept calling and I will tell you that I booked that meeting and they are now a customer of ours so that is approach right if, if anybody knows the movie Wall Street maybe I'm dating myself but that is the Bud Fox approach from uh, Charlie Sheen so I I appreciate that calling every day yeah that's pretty I cool. mean I love cold calling like it just it's fun for me like I love getting on the phone so what finally what finally made her say yes just her getting annoyed of me calling every day like the conversation would be exactly the same it would be hey jane doe how are you this is phil over at air call hey phil how's it going then the conversation ended up where she would pick up the phone and be like hey phil how are you she would turn the table on me and so it was me basically now instead of me greeting her she's now greeting me and i feel like we just got to the point where i'm just like hey you gotta pass me through and uh, i i just yeah let me ask you let me ask you this was it, was it, you know, after the first two weeks or 30 days, was it still like, Hey Jane Doe, it's Phil. You're going to put me through today. Like, did you have a different pitch? Like I'm trying to get people, a, you know, I love that you did it. It shows tenacity, but I think people are going, well, what the hell did he say each day? Right. Or, or were you just calling to shoot shit? How was your day? How was your holiday? How was your weekend? Like, what yeah, did I mean, you do? It was a mix of all of those things, right? Like every time that I would call, it would either be a conversation of, Hey, are you going to pass me through today? I would tell her some kind of joke. We would catch up on, Hey, how was your weekend? Like it would just become one of those things. Like I'd be, I felt like I became best friends with this person without ever knowing them. Would you, what do you, what was her response? You know, after day 30 of like, so are you putting me through today? She's like, Oh, Phil, you know, I yeah, can't I feel do like that. At some point she got a little bit annoyed, like thinking that I was just like never going to stop calling her. And she was right. Like I was never going to stop calling her. And it wasn't like one of those things. I don't do it for every one of my opportunities. Don't get it wrong. You can only do this. Like there's, I feel like you have to tread lightly here. Right. Because this can go one of two ways. It can be one that they get so annoyed that they will never, ever do business with your company ever again. And so you have to be careful of that, of not to kind of over assert yourself. But at the same time, you also have to know when it's appropriate to do it. Like I would say funny things like, like, for example, when I wouldn't get to her, when it would be like, when it would get to her voicemail box, I'd be like, Hey, it's Phil. I know you're probably not going to check this voicemail, but if you want to pass me through or ask him to email me back, like you can go ahead and do that. And I would hang up the call right there. And the next day I would call her and be like, Hey, did you get my voicemail from yesterday? And I would just try to make like light of it and try to make it funny. And then when, you know, it worked, it worked, but sometimes like there are people that are serious that are like, Hey, like don't call back again. And like, if you call back again, like I'm telling you, you're making a mistake. Like, you have to tread lightly and really know when is the right time to do it because you don't want to find yourself in a position where they'll never do business with you. So here's, here's my next question on that without, and I know you need to be mindful of it. Did you, did you also have to go, well, look, if I do this, this could be a, a high five or six figure deal. So it's worth my time to do that every day. Right. Um, in terms of law of diminishing returns. Cause if it's, you know, if it's a $15,000 deal, is that really worth the time? other than your ego a hundred percent and it was ego completely aside like i would have like strategy meetings with our leadership team about like saying like hey like this is where like this is at right now where do you think would be the right way to take this and do i continue to follow up right like it wouldn't be just like me like calling oh hey just to like shoot like you know just to shoot the um just to shoot like the conversation every single day it would be more of Hey, like I am strategically trying to get a hold of this person and I am going to do everything in my possible power to get him because yes, it was a high figure deal for us. 
cool. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Scott for a second. I got to step away. We've got a guest who's leaving, so I need to go say goodbye. But I will be right back. No worries. <laughs> Phil, <clears throat> um, one of the things that, you know, we talked about in Costa Rica, actually, it was just like trying to, trying to up your game and stay focused and, and take on new challenges and, you know, while taking care of yourself, you know, as well and, and working towards, you know, that mindset of, uh, of being a leader and, and, you know, you, you speak very passionately uh, about what you do um, and you are interested in, in being a leader how are you going about continuing to learn and develop those skills right now? Or is it, is it not on the radar currently because, you know, you're trying to perfect this like AE thing and how do you balance those two, you know, desires? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. Um, I feel like currently at the moment I'm working towards perfecting, myself as a salesperson, I'm not really thinking about leadership front and foremost. However, what I am doing is I'm surrounding with my, like I'm surrounding myself with other individuals who are in that role, who are extremely successful, right? You are, I'm a firm believer in that you are a product of your environment. So meanwhile, I'm not working on leadership skills yet or coaching skills yet. I started to do the little things that you need in order to do that. And, and I took an SDR who was recently hired at Aircall and I took him under my wing and I said, Hey, I really like you. I really like the background you come from. I think that you're a passionate, you're a hard worker. I watch your numbers every single week. I see that you're top of the leaderboard. You remind me a lot of myself. And so what I did is I was like, I'm going to take you under my wing if you're open to it and I'm going to coach you and I'm going to help you get better. And I'm going to put in the same practices that I had, but here's what you need to expect. You need to expect that I'm going to be extremely tough on you, that I'm going to push you probably than harder than you've ever been pushed before. But what I promise you at the end of it is going to be something that you will never forget. And that is um, a becoming, um, you know, when you say that you're going to accomplish something to actually do it, B, to work towards getting to your next goals, right? Whether that would be coming from SDR to AE or from SDR to another role, or even if that meant going to run your own business, whatever that be, I will be by your side and you will always have me as your wingman to help you and to continue to grow and flourish and whatever you do. So I took that upon myself and that wasn't asked of me, right? It wasn't like leadership asked me to do it. It was something that I wanted to do. I saw a lot of potential. It was my way of giving back, but also in a selfish way, it was a way of for me to continue and learn how to become a leader, how to properly give advice, see what works, what doesn't. So being a combination of surrounding yourself with the right individuals who are um, more successful than you are, who are just as passionate as you and being able to learn things from them to actually jumping right into the fire, taking somebody under your wing, helping them progress, helping them learn. And based on what they're successful at, you're going to be writing your playbook, right? Like, Hey, I, I taught him, um, you know, prospecting X skill today. I'm going to write down how I did it. And I documented that. And if it's successful, that's going to go into my archives as a way to train the next person, the next person, you continue to build this playbook. And when that playbook is finished, man, that, that worth is going to be very, very scary. Like, there is not going to be anybody that can get in front of you. That's awesome. You've given some, like, this has been one of those super tactical, fun episodes because you're giving, you're giving such good advice. Um, and I really, really appreciate it. And we've got to sort of move to wrapping this up. 
Um, but just again, thank you. Uh, you know, I actually have two questions for you. But again, before we do that, uh, thanks to Vidyard Lead 411 and Gong.io for supporting us into December. And if, obviously, if you're looking to make moves in January in 2021, which I think we all are, please check those folks out because I know that they will all help you uh, in very unique and special ways. Um, and Richard, before you go into the next, actually, I, I, with your plugs there, I want to just comment on two things. One, with Vidyard, if you're an SDR and you're not making videos using Vidyard, to send to your prospect prior to the demo, you're doing it all wrong. You need to be able to put a face to the name, use Vidyard, set yourself apart, make yourself different. Don't call them and be like, hey, we have a meeting in 15 minutes, are you joining? Make a 10 second video, do something funny, take a whiteboard, draw something on the whiteboard that resembles his interests or her interests or their company or whatever that is. Use Vidyard to do that. That's one, as an SDR, you should always be doing that. I would do something like, hey, Scott, I know you like to serve. Here's a scribble. I don't know how to surf, but I think that's like <laughs> exactly 100%. So, 100%. So, just you know, for a shameless plug, like you came to surf and sales. Like, what, what, what were your expectations? What'd you get out of it? And, and I want you to be authentic. What could we have done better there? To be honest with you, I didn't really know much about surf and sales when I won the trip. It was one of those things like, hey, like, you know, become the best. In, in your company and go to Costa Rica. And I was just like, free vacation. I was like, all right, cool. And then I won the trip. And then I was just like, I don't even know what I'm getting myself into. I'm about to go to Costa Rica with a bunch of random people. And the only thing that is, the only thing that I guess is keeping me sane is that I'm going with one of my colleagues from work who I trust and who I hang out with. And other than that, I don't know anything about this. And so I was a little hesitant and a little nervous in a way that I was going to Costa Rica with random people that I didn't know. And man, it was the best thing that I could have done for myself. I, I, I tell you guys this all the time, that trip opened my eyes up to a lot. It allowed me to build my network. My good friend, Scott Barker, who I keep in touch with all the time was on that trip. And he is someone that I look up to. He's someone that we've hung out with outside of work. He came to New York. We went out together. We had a great time. Being able to continue to build your network is I think what's going to set you apart later down in life. And I think surf and sales provides that opportunity because there's so many cool people that you're bringing from all these different companies and everyone sees the world and sees things in, in a complete different sense. And so if you're able to start to understand, Hey, this is how Scott looks at the world versus, Hey, this is how Richard looks at the world. And when you're able to start to understand these different personas and how different people think one, you not only do you become a better seller, but two, you broaden your horizons, right? You don't sound as arrogant when you're talking about something, you start to understand and approach your conversations with empathy, with emotion, with intelligence. And that's, that is the key right there. I think one of the things that I was told as a young kid from my dad was, he said, when you speak, people only think that you're unintelligent. But when you speak, people know that you're unintelligent. And the meaning behind that is not that, oh, you shouldn't speak, but more of, hey, take a step back, listen to what everyone is saying around you, and then chime in, right? Understand everyone's perspectives. Because what you are going to be saying and what you're going to be doing is going to be completely different than what someone else is doing. But if you can understand the perspectives and the general idea as to what everyone's doing, uh, that will help you not only become more successful, but allow others to also respect and appreciate who you are as a person. Um, servant sales opened my eyes to that, right? I met a lot of cool, unique people from all over the place with all different backgrounds. And it really taught me of, hey, I interact with 
Richard Harris a little bit different than I do with Scott Weiss or Scott Barker or whoever else I may be interacting with. But because I understand who you are as a person and what your motivations are for either myself or for yourself or us together, that's what allows me to communicate effectively. And I think so that- I wanna, I wanna make sure that, because I listen to you really well. So based on that, who do you like more? Me, Scott Lees or Scott Parker? I'm just kidding. So, um, <laughs> Don't answer I was, that. I was actually about, I was about to answer that. So thank you for pausing me. <laughs> <Don't answer that. laughs> oh my God. Phil, uh, man, I miss, I miss hanging out with you, Phil. It was, uh, it was so fun to spend some time in Costa Rica, get to know you a little bit and um, super proud of your growth and development and what you've done, um, you know, in the last year or so. And, um, you know, I'm here, here to help and got your back and continue to look for, uh, for big things from you, man. Is there anything that we can do for you? Any questions you have for us at all? Yeah, I mean, you guys have always been there, both of you, for as a mentor to me, as someone that continues to grow my career, someone that, you know, if I have an idea, you're there to listen. So first and foremost, I just want to say thank you to you guys for a um, opening up your community and your network to me and all the other sales folks that reach out to you and that you have the pleasure to speak with on a day to day. Like that's, that's rare. And, and I appreciate that a lot. And just want to say thank you for your community and your platform and what you guys have built, because that's pretty special there as well. Um, and so the only thing that I would ask is just to continue to support me and to continue to help me grow and, and give me advice that I can maybe take from some of the mistakes you've made back in your past. And so I don't make those same mistakes, right? Like, I think that as like a father figure, right, you always try to teach your, your child of how to not make the same mistakes that you made. And so from a, prof a professional development world, like I just ask the same thing, like continue to share the insight, continue to share the growth that you do on LinkedIn, all your experiences, all your knowledge. Like not only is that serving wonders to me, but I think that's also helping the sales community as well. Um, and so I just wanted to say thank you for that. And then one last thing that I do want to leave all the listeners with is that we often get caught up in our day-to-day -day lives where we're in the trenches, we're working hard, we're just, we're just trying to hit that goal. And oftentimes we don't take a step back and think about what's important. And I think if anything of what this year has shown me, or I know I could speak for a lot of people here, is really appreciating kind of what's in front of you. And I have uh, a great support system with my parents and my family that always kind of give me and, and give to me. So what do I do in return is a, I have to be successful for them to give back to them, but B also giving back to others, right? I support the St. Jude's foundation. It's something that I'm really passionate about. You got to do it for the kids. So uh, I don't know if this is going to air prior to the new year or not, but if, if you've had a year that you felt prosperous, if you felt like you've been successful, regardless if it's $1, $15 or $1,500, my ask is to give back to the St. Jude's organization. It's something that I'm passionate about, something that my parents are passionate about. And I'm a kid that's extremely fortunate to grow up and be successful. So I want to be able to make sure I do my part and give back to others. So um, I ask A, that you continue to build this amazing platform and B, uh, give, give back to the children because I know that we're in a lot more fortunate position than a lot of other people are in this world. That's beautiful, Matt. Thank you so much, Phil. We are definitely appreciated and, and by all means, definitely worth supporting that cause. 100%. Thanks so much, Phil. You have a good holiday, man.
You as well. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. If we don't have a chance to speak before the New Year's, wishing you a wonderful wrap up to the year. And yeah, looking forward to uh, continuing conversations and maybe being on a podcast with you guys next year. Absolutely. Bye, All right, take care. All the best. Bye bye.